¿Qué pasó, cochinos and sucias? I'm that vato gallo. Welcome to another episode of Sucias Are My Favorite. Today I have a special guest, uh, someone I met at a family gathering, a family function while I was out of town. Uh, originally the game plan was to have a podcast with a friend of mine, but our schedules couldn't sync up and I happened to re meet this lovely young lady and we were in the same room here, over here in conversations and talking with each other. And I realized, you know what, I'll just ask and see if she wants to be on a podcast. She said yes. So I'd like to welcome my new friend and guest. Hi, my name is Bonita. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. So today's topic is going to be somewhat controversial because I am a Christian, but at the same time, I grew up Catholic. So I have an angst or a somewhat anger with uh, Catholicism. So while we were having conversations, I, there were some things that bugged me, not about you, but just things in general about Catholicism. So one of them, as being a Christian and having gone to Bible college for a while, is that among the Ten Commandments, one of the ones that sticks out is, thou shalt not have any false idols or gods before me. And the Catholic faith is really big on patron saints of X, Y, and Z. St. Patrick Saint of um, St. Francis of Assisi, which is the animals. Mm -hmm. Christopher is travel. Um, there's a big shrine in Southern Texas, uh, San Juan, something or other. I forget what it's for, but it's a big deal. And it really bugs me that the Catholic faith preaches, pushes to, the, oh, if you have a problem, don't worry about praying to God, pray to this patron saint for whatever, because at least from the priests or fathers that I've heard from, it's more like, oh no, well, God's too busy to deal with you. So, so talk to this patron saint of whatever to deal with that. What is your take on that? Well, if first I would say if a priest or anyone made me feel like God was too busy for me, that'd be the last time I talked to that priest, because that's just not true. God is not too busy for anybody. And the there's a big difference between what the Catholic Church teaches and believes and what people of the faith will tell you the church teaches and believes. Because we are not to go to a saint above going directly to the source. It's it's more like if I am having an issue and you're my friend and I know that you pray and I might say to you, you know, hey, Gallo, this thing is happening in my life. Could you say a prayer for me? Pray for me. Keep me in your prayers. That's what our patrons are supposed to be for. That's why we would pray and include Mary in our prayer. Or if you have a saint that you identify with, that you would maybe talk to them. It, it's not to go to them above Jesus or God. It's to include them because they are the communion of saints. They're like our family up in heaven who want only the best for us as well, just like any ancestors we have that are in heaven and are looking over us and praying for us, or those that we have here on earth still, they pray for us. And that is why we include the communion of saints in our prayers, if you choose that as a devotion also. This is not anything that should ever be required. It is certainly not in church teaching that it's required that you include saints in your prayers. Yes, I agree with that, that um, there, there isn't anything in, in teachings that say, pray to XYZ saint. My greater issue is that the um, idea of false idols, which almost every patron saint has either a pendant, has a little card with a prayer behind it. They have something tangible, something physical to me that reads as an idol that essentially is something to hold and cherish above or is equal to God, because you're going to them to, you're, you're praying, or at least is my understanding growing up and having only been in the faith up until I was 12 or 13, 
and then trying to go back as an adult. And it just didn't jive with what I read myself in the Bible, particularly, um, with reading the old and new Testament, having, having gone to Bible college and understanding that the old Testament isn't entirely the Torah of the, uh, Jewish faith. It's, it's some of it, but not all of the books. And there's even more books in the Torah. It's the Tanakh. It's the Torah, Kedavim, and Nevi'im. I'm probably butchering their words, but there's more books that most Catholics are not aware of. And in that, damn, I was losing my train of thought. <laughs> so just just to be clear, we I am a little inebriated. Um, we've been like everybody around here has been drinking, so it's, it's I'm coming down off of whatever we've had. But um, damn, I had a point with this. Where was I going? Oh yeah. So the, in the Bible, or at least JC, Jesus Christ, I, I abbreviate JC cause I don't want to ostracize any fans, but at the same time, so Jesus Christ tells us that he is our intercessory our mediator between us and God. So why should we, if anyone's read the Bible, Catholic, non-Catholic or any Christian, why should we still go to a saint instead of praying directly to God or praying directly to JC. Well, I mean, Jesus is God. So we, I feel like we don't even, it's not even about going to him to get to the father. We get to them all, the mm -hmm. father, son, and the Holy spirit, just through one. And again, I would just go back to what I said before that. It's just like asking a friend to pray for you. You don't have to, if it's not your thing, don't do it. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that there's anything wrong with it either because you're simply getting another person on your team, somebody else that's going to back you up, not not do the work or not be a replacement for Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit, just another um, another friend. And as far as like medals and statues and all of those kinds of things, I can certainly see how that would appear. And some people may even treat it as a false idol, which they should not, because it, those are not idols. They can be reminders. They can be art. They're beautiful, many of them. We have an icon in our home that is of um, the visitation, which is Mary and Elizabeth. It's significant because my daughter's name is Mary Elizabeth, and so that hangs on the wall. But none of us kneel in front of it and pray to it because that's would be weird to me. Okay. Maybe someone else would be down for that because that's how they communicate with um, with Mary or St. Elizabeth. And, and that's cool too, as long as they are keeping it in the frame of mind that these are my people on my team, not they're the go-to person because they're, they're not. Hmm. That's, that's a very well articulated point because a lot of times when I speak with Catholics in general and it's more... Uh, I don't want to say dumb, not, not well-versed in Catholicism. You know, most, most Catholics I know did their first communion confirmation and didn't do anything between then and the time they got married. And then they have to do a few other things to get married through the Catholic church. Um, and then Catholic church marriage, but n most of the Catholics I know by and large aren't plugged into the church as I see Christians plugged into the church. Whereas, you know, you have your Sunday school, but the Sunday school, it, in, I think about five or six different uh, ch Catholic churches that I've gone to, the, ca the Sunday school is toddlers, 
and then everyone else, like all up until like 16, 17, which rarely, I don't remember seeing anyone over 10 or 11 in, in a Sunday school class. Whereas in Christian churches, normally it's like toddlers and then boys and girls from five to eight and then elementary age to middle school age and high school age. So there's different groups, different sections. So there's more teaching and, and abundance. And that kind of goes back to the way I grew up is, um, I mean, we're both Gen X. So I don't know if you recall uh, most masses still being in Latin um, back in the day when we were kids. And there was still some that, you know, they'd already changed over. I think it was in the sixties when they started doing it in English or whatever, but there was still a large majority of masses being said and held in Latin. So my chagrin, no, not chagrin, problem issue, uh, beef, whatever you want to call it, is that the Catholic church still try to keep the normal class citizens out of knowing what God wanted us to know. Yeah, you could read the Bible, but if you're reading the King James Version, you don't get an understanding of what it's trying to say. And most Catholics I know have never read the Bible cover to cover, or even just the New Testament. And their history, they'll chime in, oh, well, St. Peter is the first Pope. But most Catholics don't know that he was posthumously made the Pope. He didn't decide, okay, I'm going to found this church in the name of Christ. He was just named, okay, well, we're going to use him. You know, he can't say no right? He can't yeah, say no. no fact. And so it bugs me that most Catholics are not knowledgeable enough to be able to have this conversation. So then they'll feel personally attacked. And I like that we can have this conversation and discuss, okay, our ideas. And not to say that you're wrong, not to say that I'm wrong, or I'm right, or you're right. Just saying that, or basically explaining my foundational angst, anger, disgruntledness, whatever, whatever word you want to say. It's not that I'm angry with the Catholic church. There's some things I just don't like about the Catholic church, the way they're, they go about doing things. And I'm not even going to touch what the other thing that most people want to argue about. So any takes or any rebuttals or response you want to have to say? Um, I, I guess I, there's so much to that. I agree with I, there, the Catholic church for whatever reason, for many years really did a great job of keeping, um, a lot of stuff from the people. And from my understanding, the thought, which was wrong, was that the people were not able to understand the teaching, right? They couldn't read the Bible on their own and really know what it meant. And it took them until the mid-60s to figure out that that's just a load of crap. Of course, people can understand it. It's super accessible. And you know, some things, concepts can be more challenging than others, but regardless, anybody should be able to read it whenever they want. Um, and so that was an important switch. And like everything, it takes time for those things to really pass down. It shouldn't on something as important as that, but that that's how the world runs, it seems. So people in the church, in the Catholic church, who want to know more do have to work a little harder and be more intentional than in a regular Christian faith. It depends on the church now, because I want to say even today, but it really does depend on the church. Some churches make it super easy for you to plug into a group that's going to have a Bible study that, you know, a men's group, a women's group, stuff for kids. There's tons of stuff for kids. And that's like my big background because I worked for the Catholic Church as a youth minister for many years. And so I that's where most of my experience, but I also participated in a women's group that was really significant for me. I had to choose that though, but it they, it was very accessible. But my church did that. Not everybody, not every church does that, which is a real loss for the people in that community. 
that's an area certainly where the Catholic Church can learn a lot from Protestant churches of what they're, you know, the way that they engage with their people. And we see it, like people are leaving the Catholic Church in droves. And there's, I remember hanging out with my friends who are also youth ministers, thinking about people like you, Gaio, who are talking about experiences growing up and reasons that, you know, they have some beef with the church, very legitimate reasons, and how much we wish that we could just, you know, could we start a ministry where all we do is let people call in and bitch at us about all the things that, you know, the ways that they feel disengaged or treated badly by the church. And there would be, I mean, I can't even imagine, there wouldn't be enough hours in the day to do it, to hear people's legitimate concerns. And it's heartbreaking because that's not what church community should be. And that's certainly not what Jesus's intent was in the beginning. Oh, no, I I totally agree with that. Um, And so I've been a couple of uh, church services whenever I go visit my family in Mexico, and they're Catholic, of course. And I don't know if it's changed or if there's different um, masses, the way the math is, is mass, excuse me, the way masses are uh, done here in the U.S., if it's changed at all. But it's still in Mexico up until two or three years ago, which I doubt is going to change in the last two years. But essentially, you go in, you kneel, you go to your uh, the pew. Uh, it's it's the stand, sit, kneel, pray. Oh, yes, um, the Catholic aerobics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, quite familiar with those. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's all that, and then you get, um, you know, it's basically a bunch of prayers, and then there's a probably five to fifteen minutes that the father will read an excerpt and then explain it, and and go or go on a little tangent about something that he dealt with in the past week, and blah blah blah, and so. It, there's 10 to 15 minutes, max 15 minutes that I can recall, that you get an explanation or a better understanding of the Bible. And I think 15 minutes a week is not enough. And it, you should do it on your own, of course. But that that little 10, 15 minutes a week, a month, a year, you know, if, you, if you're the type of Catholic that just goes for Christmas Mass or New Year's Eve or whatever, or, or just Easter. So if you go two times a year, and, and that's another thing, but that's just a whole Christianity thing in general. But with Catholicism, it, it makes it difficult to be able to want to have a passion or, or build a passion for God, for Christ in yourself with just getting a small excerpt and trying to apply it to your life today. What do you think could help Catholics or Christians, or I guess specifically Catholics in your in your experience, what do you think could help Catholics better understand the Bible, better understand God, better understand Jesus, better understand the entire faith to be want to want to be plugged in? I think it starts first with community. You need to feel like you belong. You need to feel welcomed. You need to connect with people who you can identify with, who you have some something in common. And it can be as simple as, you know, we're all men and we're going to a men's group and that's going to be the first thing I have in common. And I'm going to stretch myself and go to this thing. It, it, uh, yeah, it's it. You want to. You need to want to be there because you know that you're seen, basically. And then it's getting. You have to make an effort too to get more involved. And obviously, you can only do that if you're part of a faith community that has options for you to get involved in. So, what else is going on outside of the regular mass? And this is the same, I believe, for all Christian churches. And I. You know, I'm not familiar with Jewish faith other than, I mean, I know the basics, but I, you know, so I can't speak about anybody else. But I 
I'm familiar with Christian churches in general, and my experience also in non-Catholic churches is the teaching isn't very long there either. It depends on where you go. There's certainly some where the pastor is going to talk for an hour, but you're going to then be in church for two hours because they're going to have all the other, a lot of the other stuff too. They're going to read the Bible together in community. They're going to sing some songs. You know, there's a lot of things that are real similar. Um, and then that is just how long the pastor or the priest speaks depends on the pastor or the priest and the faith community. What are they open to? Because if you're at a Catholic church and he's going to talk for an hour, they're going to get up and leave. They're they're really not going to stay, even though they're very trained to stay. It's not going to happen. And there's a lot of Protestant churches where that will happen too. They don't want to be there more than an hour. So uh, that's you know that's universal. But the thing that those Protestant churches do better is that they get you in before you come. Like you're talking about Sunday school. Like that's a common thing. You know, you go the hour before, and every age group has Sunday school, and then you go to church together as a family. And the Catholic Church, you just show up for Mass. Of course, there's um, catechism or whatever you may call it in your faith community, um, catechesis of the Good Shepherd or whatever it is. There's different names. That's not usually the one. Sunday, some places it is. It's usually a day during the week, and it's also only for kids, you know. And then there's middle school youth group and high school youth group if you choose to go. And again, there's men's and women's groups, but these are all scattered out. And that might be an opportunity for the Catholic Church to look at the way other churches do it, where you're doing everybody together at the same time. And there are churches that do that. There's um, When I was still working for the church, and I don't know why this was new, like 15 years ago, to do intergenerational things, you know, where like they're doing at Protestant, like they've been doing at Protestant churches for I don't even know how long, how long, since the beginning probably, where where you do just that, where you all come together at the same time. You break apart into appropriate age sections, and then you maybe come back together for like a brief time of worship. And and that's been really fruitful for a lot of communities that have chosen that. But again, back to the original question, the way to get people engaged is to build community. Let them know they're seen, they're welcomed, and they belong. So one thing that also bothers me about just Christianity in general, including Catholicism, Judaism, so anything under the Judeo-Christian umbrella, if there's a better word for that, I don't know, but just under the, the umbrella of, you know, JC, the, the Judeo-Christian, not Jesus Christ, but still under that umbrella, homosexuality, bisexuality, any, any atypical sexual um, orientation is seen as a perversion and most of a Christian type faith, you know, or JC faith, Judeo-Christian faith, um, want to fix it, change it, or, or destroy it. There are very few that are inclusive and it's those kind of like fringe groups like Unitarian or Universalist. I forgot the name of of the- Yeah, Unitarians. Unitarian. They're very welcome, very opening. In studying at community, at, uh, College of Abdul Studies, or College of Bil- College, sorry, the inebriation is kicking in. College of Biblical Studies. Um, it, I know it's CBS in Houston is where I went. One of the classes I took was the New Testament reading and understanding. Or I'm, I'm going to butcher the class name, but it was basically learning from the Greek text, not trying to read it from King James, not trying to read it because King James was a translation from Greek to the King's English. 500 years ago, 600 years ago. So it's more of an understanding of learning what the Greek text is now 
in, in our common language uh, today, not trying to translate from King James to a modern English, but directly from the old Greek. One of the things that stood out was what we now say or call an abomination or, or of homosexuality, which I can't think of the word right now. The word that we use to translate abomination is actually referring to pedophilia, where it wasn't that a man was laying with a man, it was a man laying with a boy. That was a problem that was uh, in that verse. And so modern day people, I think it was in the 30s that homosexuality got introduced into the English Bible. It could have been sooner, could have been a little bit later. I could be off by a decade, but early 1900s, homosexuality got put into the English Bible. And so a lot of Christian faiths and in some cases, Catholic faiths, which I find amusing or interesting because Catholics, and I forget when, because this was another class, uh, Catholics would allow homosexuals to come in and become fathers or pastor, not pastors, fathers, priests, right? And to uh, free, not free them of persecution, but to uh, hide them, to, to let them have quote unquote a purpose. And so that's one plus that, that I have towards Christian, uh, towards Catholicism, because they realized, or at least at that time, saw homosexuals as human and that they deserve, they didn't deserve to be mutilated, butchered, murdered, whatever for their, for their orientation. Um, in a lot of Christian faiths, particularly Westboro Baptist church, that one that just like hates everything that's like it's fire and brimstone and gays are going to die and gays is all that, all that stupid shit. My issue with Christianity in general is that most don't try to learn and understand enough that just like we have albinoism, just like we have different mutations in animals and humans, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, all these different things that happen to us naturally or through nature or through God, however you want to uh, describe these issues, that it's all, in essence, a plan of God. And I think the biggest issue is that Christians want to say, oh, if you're gay, you're wrong and you need to be fixed and you need to do this and you need to do that and blah, blah, blah. But JC told us there's only two great commandments, honor your father and honor your parents, mother and father, and love each other like you love yourself. Now, granted, I don't think he was referring to people that have mental issues or have depression or have whatever, but to love one as love everyone as you love yourself, that you should take care of yourself. You should have your mental health taken care of, that you should be not only worthy of love, but giving love. You can't change someone or convince someone to be different if all you're showing them is hate. If you show them love, they'll want to come and, and be a part of you. They want to be, they want to receive that. They want to fill that within them. One example that I, I, I see that with, I don't know if you ever heard of Milo Thanapolopoulos, some, some long last name. It's a Greek last name. He's a British guy. He's kind of a big deal on YouTube. He kind of disappeared for a little while, but he's a gay Republican. And he is just like, extravagant out there, but he is very well-spoken. He understands other faiths as well. Uh, Jewish faith, you can find him on YouTube. Uh, just search YouTube and Milo. But he recently, I think in the last six months, of course, it could have been sooner, could have been later, but in the last, sorry, in the last few months, I've seen some of his posts start coming back on where he's talking about renouncing his, or stop being gay and he wants to be straight because he's also Catholic, which is which is crazy. He's a gay Catholic Republican from Britain. 
he's living in the U.S. now. He's been like a reporter. He was on like Breitbart, Breitbart. Um, and then he had his own channel doing a bunch of stuff and kind of antagonizing people. He's kind of a, he's essentially like another Ben Shapiro or Michael Knowles, um, or more, more like Michael Knowles, Michael Knowles, excuse me, in, um, how he approaches and, and not, not so much attacks people, but tries to get people to like change their mind and realize, Hey, you know, there's, it's, it's hard to quantify Milo. You just have to watch him. He's he's great. But here recently, he decided to end his marriage with another gay man. He, I guess for shock value or whatever, decided to throw his quote unquote sodomy stone into the ocean. That's, that's his ring. He basically threw his wedding ring into the ocean that he's renouncing or doesn't want to be gay anymore. He wants to be straight. And on one hand to me, that kind of like shock value, trying to get attention, whatever. But on the other hand, it gives me hope that at least anyone that's Christian or Catholic or Jewish or even Muslim that has that faith and is gay or bisexual or whatever atypical, and not to say that any of that is wrong, just that as far as a clinical definition, there's typical, which is hetero cis people. Anything else is just called atypical. It's not that it's wrong. It's just not typical, not common that he wants to be quote unquote, like back into the fold. And so that to me is kind of inspiring that he would want to do that. And it's not that he's deciding to go through some, um, what do they call that? That gay reorientation, the, the classes that some Catholic or Christian courage, no, not courage. Um, where they try to force someone from gay to straight the the reorientation class or whatever the the stupid thing that a lot of different faiths or judeo-christian faiths try to impose on gays now there's a point and i'm going off on a long tangent i don't even know what i was talking about because i actually eventually had a question for you i'm just rambling on for like five minutes what is your take on that or what from what i just said is there anything you agree disagree with or find that interesting or new for you i mean i agree with with a lot of that. Uh, the first thing I would say is if any church is reacting to any body or any situation with anything other than love, then they're doing church wrong. And I'm not really big on absolutes, but that's one that I, I feel absolutely very strongly about. God is love, and that's it. So your only reaction to anything should be a loving reaction. That doesn't mean that sometimes you don't have to say difficult things and help people who are making some legitimately bad choices that are affecting their lives, but you do it with love. A lot of churches aren't doing that, which is why we see places like Westboro Baptist Church come up. They're not the, they may be the most extreme, but they're not the only ones who are kind of in that realm. And, and it's really, it's sad and it does nothing to um, help Jesus, you know, if anything, it'll turn people off to Jesus, people who don't know who Jesus really is. If they, if that's their only exposure, they're going to be like, yeah, I'm not going to participate in hate. That's just, no, not what I'm about. So love first, always love first. Um, and it's a real disservice, these churches and organizations that are not allowing people to be who they are. It, it shouldn't even be a question of allowing who you are is who you are. We all believe that God created us. People who are Christians believe that God created us, and God only creates things that are, 
good. God doesn't make mistakes. This is what we teach. So if we follow that logic all the way through, if you are homosexual, that is how God made you and God didn't make a mistake. That's who you are. And there are a lot of churches, like you mentioned, a lot of churches everywhere, it doesn't really matter, that um, are not accepting of people who are homosexual. And it's sad. They're stepping away from their mission of love in the first place. And as far as the Catholic Church goes, the Catholic Church teaches, and you can look this up in the catechism, that same, it's, they will call it, um, it's like same-sex attraction. It's same-sex attraction is what it's called in the catechism, and that there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with same-sex attraction. Where it starts to get muddy, it's not really muddy, but where if you are a person who is gay or lesbian or, or wherever you are in the alphabet soup there, uh, you can't have sex with someone. That's the thing, because you can't have sex outside of marriage. That is a very strong Catholic teaching. We all know straight people are having sex outside of marriage all the time, and they're not getting ostracized from the church. So why should homosexual people, gay people, be ostracized from the church because they do the same damn thing as everybody else does? Not everybody. I know a lot of people who wait till marriage, but a lot of most people probably. And and that is, um, yeah, that's kind of messed up. And it's not cool. It's like, it's almost like uh, don't ask, don't tell in a way, you know? And there are churches, there's pretty much, you can find one Catholic church in every major city that's like the gay church, in quotes, the gay church, because they will have support groups for people who are homosexual, and they will have people who are homosexual serving in really significant ministries, but they'll probably be the only one in town who's not who's really open about it. That's not to say there are not going to be homosexual people involved in church ministries in other churches. Typically, though, it's don't ask, don't tell. And we know that because we can see in media all the time teachers who are being fired from the Catholic Church because they decide to get married to their longtime partner. Or uh, I read recently of a school who wouldn't accept a child because they had two same-sex parents ridiculous right but and that's honestly that as far i've only heard of that happening one time it could happen more but i've also seen kids of same sex of yeah same sex parents being in catholic schools cuz why wouldn't they be so it's again another a lot of this as far as the catholic church goes is a lot of um people not really knowing what the church teaches and then just reacting based on either their own misconceptions, insecurities, fears. I don't, you know, I don't really know where that comes from for, for a lot of people, but it's, it's not church teaching. So even priests, some know, and they should all know, because again, it is right there. There's two passages in the catechism that very specifically speak to this. And if I could remember them, I'd say them right now. But if you have you seen a catechism, friends, it's huge, huge, like uh, over a thousand pages. It's obscene. Uh, so <laughs> um, it's in there, though. I, I promise you, I'm not making this up. It, it's really sad, though, that people who are conflicted on their sexuality can't find a loving place to work these things out within their church community, regardless. And you don't have to agree with people's lifestyles or agree with people, you know, the way they live. 
being who they are again. Because a lot of people have a hard time with people who, like you said, are outside what is considered typical. But that's on them. It's not on the person who's just being themselves. And it's sad because, again, that's another missed opportunity to create community. And aren't we all about, if you're a Christian, we're all about getting each other to heaven, period. I can I can agree with that. I mean, I want everybody in heaven. Like, mm, no, I don't want to see you up there. But um, heaven's big. Just go to a different bar. <laughs> well, so my my I guess faith or whatever. So, like I said, I grew up in a Catholic church up until I was about twelve, and I stopped going because my mother got sick. She had leukemia, and I was very angry with God, like any child would be. Mm-hmm. And so I just stepped away from any faith for several years. And then right before I joined the army, I happened to go to a Protestant church. I don't know what faith it was, but there was a play, I think it was called Life. And essentially it was um, clarifying any misconceptions that people have about how you get into heaven. A lot of people believe that if you're just a good person or if you do good things, you're going to get into heaven. And at least in the Christian faith to get into heaven, it's simple ABC, um, admit you're a sinner, believe in Christ and confess your sins. After you do those three things with the intention, with realism, with sincerity in your heart, you're in, you're in, uh, they call it book of life. So you get to walk right into heaven. And I thought, oh, great. That's all I got to do. Sign me up. They had altar call and you basically go up to the, to the front, uh, after the play was over and you just say, okay, yeah, I believe in Christ. You know, Jesus Christ is a real person that I believe existed. I am a sinner. I've done a lot of fucked up things. Of course, I didn't say that then. I've done a lot of stupid stuff. And I want to be accepted. So confess your sins. I'm in the book of life. And after that, there wasn't a class or anything. Okay, now to be a good Christian or to do X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. I was just like, okay, you're in the book of life. Fine. I'm good. I can do whatever I want. I can be a slut as I had been for the past 15, 20 years. And going through all that, it wasn't until probably 2010. Well, actually earlier than that. I was starting to go back to church and got plugged in. I was actually a youth minister or youth leader in um, the boys' side of um, the Protestant faith. I still didn't know enough about the Bible, still didn't know enough how to explain it. Like there was kind of the instructor's manual or book that said, okay, this is what this says, this is what this means, but it wasn't really an explanation. It was more of me, more of telling me what to tell the kids what this passage meant. It wasn't really an education on what the passage meant. And I struggled with that uh, for several years. And that's why I eventually decided to go to CBS and learn more about the Bible, have a better, deeper understanding of it. And in that, or in t- over time, you mentioned the, the alphabet mafia or alphabet soup. And there is two things that kind of stand out through my life experiences it was an episode of The Shield. I want to say it was in the first season and I don't want to detract or say that the Alphabet Mafia have anything to do with what I'm about to say. I'm just going to say something as just like a random statement and something to consider or think about. Because like you said, where it's same-sex attraction is one thing, but then acting on it is a different thing. Okay, so on that in the same vein, there was that episode of The Shield where they were dealing with um, basically pedophiles or child molesters. One guy had kidnapped or taken a girl. He was more into girls that were older than that particular age. So he essentially, quote unquote, sold that girl to another guy who was into younger girls. That 
second person was going to give the first person another girl in exchange at a later date. So a girl that would be more fitting for what he likes. At the time, I thought, because this was late 90s, early 2000s, whenever the shield was out. And I thought, great, you know, just like they're trying to normalize gays, now they're going to try to normalize pedophilia. And that was just a, a back in my thought. It wasn't any aspersion to gays. It was just, you know, oh, okay, this is another thing we're going to have to deal with within our lifetime. And here in the last month, maybe two months, there's, uh, I found a YouTube video just stumbling on, on some other stuff that I was trying to just learn about sexology in general, is uh, an interview with Dr. James Cantor, which I believe, actually, he, his uh, study or his focus is on atypical uh, sexualities. He's a gay man himself. He grew up and he ended up going through this particular um, crap. I forgot what he, what it was called, but it was basically a kind of like the Mayo Clinic, but for psychology of studying and learning different things. And he focuses on pedophilia. And there's different types. I always thought pedophilia was just anything or any attraction to a person that was under 18. And pedophilia specifically is for prepubescent children. And then there's Hebe or hebephilia, which is pubescent children. And then there's another one for attraction to adults. And then jet, gentriol, gent, gentrophilia, which is attraction to seniors. So his statements or his studies have shown that there's a difference between pedophiles and child molesters, whereas pedophiles are just have the attraction. Child molesters aren't always pedophiles. It's more of a uh, crime of opportunity where a guy is dating some woman and then he ends up doing something with the daughter or, child or son or whatever, uh, whenever the mother's not around or whatever. It's not that he has an attraction to it. It's just an abuse of power, abuse of a situation. Not that I'm trying to equate this with anything with the alphabet mafia. Just the idea that there is a distinction between A and B and that you can deal with one and the other, but by treating all pedophiles as child molesters, then they're not going to try to seek help. And at one point, they're going to reach a point of desperation where they're going to act out on those desires. And society sees that as wrong. At the same time, different countries have different views on adult-child sexual interactions. Some countries have no age um, of consent. Other countries are like 12. Other countries are kind of vague and just say puberty. And even within the United States, there's different states that have... 12, 14, 16, 17. Texas is very weird. Texas says 17 is age of consent, but if you're within three years, so if you're uh, 14, a 17-year-old can be with a 14-year-old. 15 can be with 18. Uh, 17 can be with a 20-year-old or whatever. Or 17 and, and can be with anyone. Canada has more specific because it's countrywide. But in that, I, I think it all kind of goes back into Christian faith, Christian, Judeo-Christian, Catholic, Muslim faiths, love is like the, the most important part of the faith and of bringing people together as a community. Because if you don't feel that love, you're not going to feel a part of it. Uh, one issue I had in the in Protestant faiths when I would go to church is they would, there would be a lot of singing and dancing and, and before a service. And I just felt if I even raise my hand, I would get thunderstruck <laughs> on me because growing up in Catholic faith is very solemn and hymnal songs before the mass starts. So I just felt wrong in Protestant churches, even though I felt a lot of love and affection and, and um, community outside of the services. So in any case, do you have a rebuttal? Mm -hmm. 
Um, of course I do. Uh, I, I found it really interesting when you mentioned that you went to a Protestant church. How old were you when you went to that Protestant church and they did the play and did so, the altar call? Like 17? Oh, no, no. I was uh, 18. Like, no, I think it was right 18. Either 18 or 19. Say again? Right before you went into the military. Correct. Said. So yeah, 18 or 19. Yeah, and that there wasn't really much of a follow-up after that. Well, there probably would have been because they, they would have you like fill out a little form thing. And, but I was leaving for the military within a week. So it wasn't like, you know, if, if I had stayed around, I probably would have gotten contact and like, Hey, this is how the church works. Blah, blah, blah. Why don't you come check this out or whatever? So, so to uh, correction for myself, it's not that the church didn't follow up. It's just that I was leaving for the military. So it wasn't, so it was more on my part for that. Yeah. That's yeah. That's cool to know. And good to know. I, I find it interesting though, because that is a big thing that happens in Protestant churches where there is a, um, you know, there's just a buildup of some sort that really gets young people in, in a space where they're having some really big, strong feelings and they're feeling connected and like, this is awesome. And then it, there's always an altar call. It's like a formula that they follow, just like the Catholic Church has its own formulas for the way that they um, have worship services and, and bring people into the church. And people get really hyped up, and then they go down, and then you hear later that they had, you know, we had all of these people here, and 100 people answered the call to come and love Jesus. And then, you know, there really isn't always a lot of um, follow-up from the people that I've talked to for a wide variety of reasons. And myself, having been a youth minister, some of it is just, you know, you don't have the support you need and you can't stay on top of everything. And the follow-up that should happen doesn't always happen. And I've seen it, too, at in... Catholic youth ministry too. I participated a lot in these really huge conferences, like 3,000 people at them. And and they were, you know, really amazing events and can be powerful experiences for those who are that are attending. But there can also be a lack of follow-up and what do you do next and how do you stay connected? And, and I think that's a challenge for a lot of um, Catholic churches when we talked about or any church, any faith, you know, we talk about building community and you have these opportunities and how well are you following up on the opportunities to build that community. I, I, uh, I've not had a lot of experience at Catholic churches like you described, Gaia, where it's more somber and there, uh, you know, there's not a lot of I don't know. The singing is very, probably very slow, very much like from a hymnal and such. But that's probably because I've always been super active in youth ministry. And services within youth ministry are more charismatic, period. They, the teaching is a little more, dif little different, but the music is exponentially different. It's, I mean, it's pop music, yeah. basically. Pop. pop for Jesus. Yeah, no, because in, in Protestant churches, like before the, the service starts, it's usually uh, pop Christian music, whatever, um, depending. I mean, there's almost always a, a Christian uh, music 
station. And a lot of them are the contemporary, popular, contemporary Christian music songs, just at a slightly slower uh, pace. Like the first two or the first three or four are very, the same as you would hear on the radio, very uplifting, contemporary, you know, make you want to clap your hands, jump in your seat, blah, 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 you know, all this other happy stuff that you feel. And then right before the service starts, the last two songs are a little more slower, more hymnal, like Catholic masses. I've never gone to, or the uh, youth services that I went to in any Catholic churches were for my first communion and confirmation. So, and then it was in Mexico. So there wasn't any popular music that I'm going to listen to. So I, I, my experience with Catholicism ended in the early 80s. So, Yeah. And I mean, even in the early 80s, if you went to the right church, you probably would have experienced some, I mean, early 80s style. Wait a minute. So you're saying that <laughs> my church it. was wrong? Kind of, no, it's not wrong at all. It's just no, a different just style. Busting your, just busting your chops now. I get what you're saying. But there's... It, even you can turn if you listen to Christian radio at all. Matt Marr is very popular, and he's a Catholic artist, and he his music is typically played. But even David Crowder, who is a popular Christian artist, a Texas guy, uh, he his songs would be played in a Catholic mass, hmm. a teen mass. Okay, maybe it it will depend on the liturgist and the person who's in charge of music. Certainly possible they're going to slip in a little Crowder in the regular Sunday schedule too, if you know, depending on the church, because there are churches that are totally open to that kind of thing. There's other churches that are definitely not. Those are not my kind of churches, though. I, you know, I definitely go to places that have a more laid back feel and play music that is more recent than the 1800s. And there's a lot of them out there. You just have to know. I mean, you just have to give it a try, I guess, and and look around. But yeah, there's I'm, that's the thing with the Catholic Church. There's all different worship styles. It just depends on where you are. Like, it, obviously, in bigger cities, you're going to have options. In small cities, there's one church, so you don't have as much of a choice. You might if they have different worship services, but a lot of those might only have one or two. But you can attend a church in a bigger city where there's a 7 a.m. mass that has almost no music because that's what the people who attend that mass want, and it's liturgically correct, so cool. But if you go at 6 o'clock at night at that same church, they're going to rock the roof off because that's what fits the community that's attending at that time. Again, not every church is going to be like that, but there, there are a lot of them out there. And that's another interesting thing I find about um, the JC churches, Judeo-Christian churches, because in Muslim churches, I've never attended because, uh, so when, when I spoke with an imam, they'll allow you to attend the service, but they, they kind of want, it's essentially, it's kind of weird, at least in explanation of what I recall, is that they essentially want you to convert before you actually start partaking of it. You can go and join and do the whole thing, but you're not going to do it right. Cause you don't know what, what the, what the procedure is. Right. Um, and so I kind of want to like get an understanding before I actually would commit to even just going. And they were like, okay, well, you can come do this, but you know, most people would see you with a side eye because you don't know what's going on and because you're not committing to be a part of it. So that, that seemed in a sense, I don't want to use the word extremist, but it seemed kind of forced. So I just kind of listened and learned what I had to do, what I would kind of have to do. But 
every Muslim service is the same. It starts the same, ends the same. Whereas Judeo-Christian churches have, well, let me rephrase that, Christian churches, Christian and Catholic churches, because I've never been to a Jewish mass or Jewish service, excuse me. The Judeo-Christian services, or sorry, keep saying the wrong thing. The Christian services and Catholic services are varied in between. Even with, like you said, within the same church, depending on the time of day, depending on who they're catering to, if, if, if that's, you know, I don't want to diminish what they're doing, but they're, they're catering to their congregants per service rather than keeping something kind of equal and the same. And on one hand, I could see that it's good to get be all inclusive, but at the same time, I think there could be a dilution of the message or they could be seen as less serious or not as correct, for lack of a better word. So uh, that was just from hearing what you said and reminding, like I said, of Muslim, oh, I forgot, it's not service, I forgot what they call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I've also never attended a Muslim service, although I've read quite a bit of the Quran and talked to people about it because it's, you know, it's an interesting faith and, and really, um, you find a lot of really strong, faithful people mm-hmm. within that, which is awesome. I, I think when we talk about churches who have different services, depending on who, depending on their community, it's really about reaching people where they are. So it's a bit of a, like a different but equal sort of situation. They're going to follow the same formula, we'll say. Like everybody's going to come in. There's going to be a song. There's going to be three readings. There's going to be, we call them a homily in the Catholic Church, a sermon. Um, you know, and then there's the whole, you know, the part where of the basic service with communion. And then again, there's going to be a song. Right. Like it's all it really is. It is all exactly the same. The difference will be the music and the and perhaps the homily, depending on the priest, because a priest will typically give basically the same homily. If he's doing multiple services, he'll give the same one at each one, even if he's at the 7 a.m., what I would call a dry mass, um, just because it's more there's just less music um, or a more charismatic mass at the in the evening. It's still going to be the same basic message if it's the same priest if it's a different priest then you know it could be totally different because they'll have a different take on the reading or they'll have a different take on you know whatever god has laid on their hearts or even in talking with the people that are there so it's it is different it can be vastly different and there are certainly going to be a lot of people within the church who within the catholic church who are not going to be down for a youth style mass because it's not traditional enough, even though it does follow the formula, in quotes. And there's nothing liturgically wrong with it. That's, you know, that's like everywhere. People want to find a problem with something, they're going to find a problem with it. Oh, no, I agree. Because there's even like, the the way from what you're saying, it, it kind of popped in my head, is that there's those that want the King James Bible. There's those that want the NIV. And then there's those that want... um NASB, North American Standardized Bible. Did you ever read the Message um, Bible? I think it's. A, I thought it was a word. I was gonna. That was the next one I was gonna say. But the Message it is very condensed, like very modern. It, it's almost like emoji, LOL, yeah. shorthand <laughs> version of the Bible. It is. And so I get. I I like that. Okay, there's something for every every different person's um, 
quote unquote reading level or vocabulary or even understanding. But at the same time, you know, I think the message in some cases can be so diluted that it's not, I mean, it's still the word, it's still the same message, but it doesn't expound or doesn't make you think as much as King James or NIV would. And so with that, I'm seeing that the same with, with how you explain the different services in, in Catholic faith. But any case, um, you know, I, this episode really wasn't intended to be a whole Christianity thing. So for my, my listeners, and of course you're new, um, so for my listeners, they don't, they probably won't expect this, which I, I find amusing. <laughs> I look forward to hearing any comments I get because it's, it's frustrating because I do this as a live stream sometimes. The, the frustrating part is they won't even comment in the live stream. They'll send me a text or send me a messenger message <laughs> or some kind of different DM. Like, hey, you know, that was cool. I like that. Like, man, just fucking comment in the damn thing. So like, I know I'm not just talking to myself, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to hear. I mean, I kind of am and I'm kind of scared of hearing what some of my listeners are going to say to this. And oh, maybe hopefully, hopefully it will open up a conversation about Christianity. And I've, I think I've probably mentioned it in previous episodes of my Christian faith or whatever I believe in, but I hadn't gone in depth as like this. And I, I'm glad I had this opportunity. I'm glad that I have someone that can speak so well on the Catholic faith as you have, because like I said, I've had some friends that aren't as articulate and knowledgeable about the Catholic faith as you are. So thank you for that. I appreciate you for being here. Is there anything you want to finish up on or you want anybody to follow you on social media or anything, or do you just want to stay anonymous? <laughs> Stay anonymous for now. Thanks, though. Um, well, thanks so much for having me. This was a really fun discussion. And I always, like you, I enjoy talking with people who can have a different um, perspective on things and still have a kind, loving, enjoyable, intelligent exchange. No heated emotions. And I can understand why people do get that way, but it, it really doesn't help either of us when we speak purely emotionally. It's much better when we can just be chill. Yeah, that, that's kind of part of my message is that, you know, we're all human. We're all, you know, regardless of what our identity is, is that at, at our core, which a lot of us, I think we forget, is that we're human. And we're all in this together. We need to figure out how to make it better. And maybe this message will get to reach out to someone. As long as if I could reach one person in the entire time that I do this podcast, whether it's if I end it after this episode or if I end it 20 years from now, as long as one person can say, okay, I'm a human and I want to reach other people and be a human to them and, you know, have that connection because like, like we see in social media a lot is, you know, you're either on one side or the other. And if you're, if you don't agree with me, then you're wrong and no one's willing to meet in the middle. And I appreciate that when I can find that. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being on the show. I appreciate you. And to my listeners, thank you for being here. I love you. And until next time, besos.